Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. Today, we've got some great stories of compliance and our first story of the day is from Gavila438. You want updates? You got it. So, one of the first IT jobs I worked was for the corporate headquarters of a Midwestern sandwich chain. My brother's best friend was the IT manager of this place and was given full reign to hire anyone he wanted. We had previously worked together in another place and he liked my work ethic, so he ended up asking if I'd take the job. Of course, I said yes, since I genuinely enjoyed working alongside this friend, and I thought it would be cool to report to him. Anyway, a few months go by and everything's going well. I had met and enjoyed mostly everyone in the IT department. Then one day, the CEO congratulates and welcomes a new CTO. This confused me as I thought that my friend's boss was the CTO, but I was then told that he was actually an interim CTO this whole time. So being green and naive, I decided to take it upon myself to meet the new CTO. The conversation goes more or less like so. I say, hi, my name's Jerry. I'm one of the help desk technicians here. It's a pleasure to meet you and I look forward to working with you. And then I stick out my hand to shake hands. The CTO blankly stares at my hand, then back at me. I say, uh, yeah, so if you need anything or have any questions, I'll do my best to help. CTO says, so just because I'm a woman, I need help? And what exactly can a help desk help me with? Don't offer to help me unless I ask for it. Got it? My friend saw this and was honestly shocked. To this day, this entire exchange still haunts me. In any case, I moved on and ensured to try to stay out of the CTO's way. I decided I wanted to just do my job and work with my friend. The entire time I worked there, my friend had kept me in the loop with all his projects and his work, so that I could hopefully be successful in the field. Then, one day, when I get to the office, I'm informed that my friend was fired by a demand of the CTO since he was not meeting expectations. Despite all the reports showing that his leadership and changes did in fact yield very high ratings for ticket closures and customer satisfaction. That same day, the CTO comes to the help desk room and walks up to me. She then says, Hey you, you worked alongside that manager, right? Well, I'm making you the interim manager since you know most everything he was working on. I felt like this was two slaps to the face. One being that she didn't refer to me by my name, and the other that she gives me my friend's job the same day he was fired. A few weeks go by, and I just experience going to meeting after meeting. I keep getting told that performance ratings and customer satisfaction is dropping. In particular, the biggest gripe that was recorded was that the work orders were not getting updates for days on end, and that the requesters were beginning to feel that we were ignoring their issues. I tried to reply with a plan that I had to help alleviate this, but the CTO said, We will make sure this is fixed, and would not let me speak. 
After all those meetings, the CTO sets up a meeting with myself, the Director of Infrastructure, we'll call him Matt, and the previous interim CTO, who we'll call Joe. CTO says, okay, how are we going to fix the problem with the work orders? I say, well, I've got a plan that should help with this. See, what I need to do is canvas the tickets and see what they jump in. If I needed a plan, I would have asked for it. I want an answer now. I say, okay, well, I'm trying to give you the answer, which is part of this plan. She says, then it's useless if you can't get to the answer. Any other ideas? At this point, we all stayed fairly silent, and the CTO was just more or less rambling to herself. At the end, her response was glorious. Okay, so moving forward, no matter what it is, I want every ticket to be updated immediately with anything that is going on with the request as it is being worked on. I say, everything that's going on with the request immediately as it happens? Are you sure about that? I feel like that's going to cause... She says, I know what I said. If I have to repeat myself, consider yourself out of a job. I'm silent for a second and then said, understood. She then proceeded to send an email summarizing almost everything that happened in the meeting. She then writes that I had no constructive information to provide, but again, see her plan there. It was then that it occurred to me, cue malicious compliance. I go back to the help desk room to announce the immediate change. Hey everyone, just wanted to give you a heads up that moving forward, you are to provide every work order with any and all updates possible. That includes anything from looking at the ticket, to moving a laptop, to typing on it. Just anything you do must be related and entered into the ticket. Tech1 says, um, you want everything in tickets? I say, yep, you heard that right, everything. As you work on the tickets, keep those updates coming. Tech 2 says, but if we do that, we could potentially trigger the spam filters. Also, it's going to flood the requester's mailboxes. Did you mention this to the CTO? I say she didn't care to hear about it. It's apparently not constructive information. The other four technicians stayed silent until one of them said, a storm is brewing, this is going to be fun, and we all laughed knowing what was going to happen. I went to the email that the CTO sent regarding the summary of our meeting and open it in its own window on my computer. I then continued to do as she asked, and so did the other technicians. Wasn't even an hour before our updates were beginning to get blocked by the spam filters, and we started getting emails from the requesters asking us why we were updating the work order so much, others asking to be removed from future ticket updates, and many demanding to speak to a manager regarding this sudden disturbance. I updated the IT help desk with an automatic reply that said something along the following. Thank you for your message, if this is in regards to your ticket updates. Rest assured that we have your best interest in mind. A new policy is in place to provide you with as much transparency to your IT requests. This is in hopes to provide a better customer service experience. Please be rest assured that we are aware of the amount of tickets this may produce. We hope to provide further support to you and look forward to completing your request shortly. Company IT Help Desk It wasn't long after this that the CEO came into the help desk room and demanded to know what the heck was going on. And I could tell that he was ready to fire someone when I calmly said, Good afternoon, sir. We're simply following orders. And pointed to my screen to the email with the meeting summary. The CEO looked at me and growled, Follow me. As we were walking, we passed by Matt's, Joe's, and the CTO's office, each time the CEO growling at them, in my office, now. 
We get to his office and the conversation goes like this. The CEO says, what the heck is going on? I say, I will reiterate, I'm only following orders. They say, and what exactly were these orders? I reiterate them and say, here's the email from the CTO regarding this order. The CTO says, sir, I can explain. I was just thinking that CEO jumps in and did no one stop to think what issues this would cause? Matt says, well, Jerry did try to explain a plan to the CTO. Joe says, if I'm not mistaken, Jerry knows that if the exchange servers detect multiple updates coming out like this in a small time window, it triggers a spam blocker. And I say, and that's why my plan was to update each ticket only once a day, rather than after every single thing that was done towards the request. The CTO says, I asked you to update at the end of the day with everything that happened with the work orders. The CEO clarifies, according to your summary, you did ask for ticket updates as they occurred, and Jerry's team provided this. Why didn't you listen to Jerry's plan of action? CTO says, well sir, I've been working in the field since before 2000. What can someone like Jerry provide me with? They say, well, he can provide you with the information to tell you why your idea has just caused the company a ton of money since now our exchange server got overloaded. I say, when I was talking about canvassing, I was trying to say that I wanted to reach out to each location's managers to compile a list of tickets to update in a scheduled manner rather than do them all at once. But since you wouldn't listen to me and even threatened to fire me, I only complied with your plan. The CTO says, I cannot believe this is happening. Why am I being targeted here? At this point, the CEO asked Matt, Joe, and me to leave while he had a word with the CTO on what teamwork means. Several minutes later, the network slash infrastructure team was able to reboot the exchange servers and remove the IT help desk mailbox from the spam filters. I later provided a mass email update to the organization, apologizing for any inconveniences that were caused and that I would be reaching out to provide planned support. I would soon find out that the CTO was placed on an unpaid leave until further investigation were pending. I ended up quitting a few months after that, since after the incident, the CTO was frequently trying to take her grudge out on Joe, Matt, and me. I did leave reporting the incidents to HR. I did later find out that the CTO was terminated and arrested for embezzlement. Update, for starters, for those who don't believe this is real, there are actually court documents out there regarding the embezzlement issues. I won't link them since I'd rather not get the story traced back to me, but just think really hard of a popular United States Midwestern-based sandwich shop and look for embezzlement. You might find your proof. Another thing, for anyone who thinks that I was being respectful towards the CTO on my introduction, no, it wasn't because of chivalry. I respect everyone equally despite their status or position or power, I suppose. When I started at this company, everyone was super friendly and genuinely liked working with one another. So greeting new staff in a friendly manner and offering to provide assistance was just a norm. So the fact that she came in with that large of a chip on her shoulder and further accused me of being sexist really threw me off. Furthermore, to clarify, that experience haunts me every time I speak to any female staff and thoughts race through my head making me wonder if what I did or said could be deemed sexist, despite knowing darn well that I'm being respectful and professional. Okay, now for the juicy bits, the embezzlement. When I found out about the embezzlement, I'd already jumped ship from the place and moved on to a much better company. 
At the new company, I actually ended up poaching some of the best staff from the previous company to come work alongside me. Although I had almost no connections left at the Sandwich HQ place, some of the people I had brought over still had quite a number of connections back there. When I left, the company was no longer as friendly as it used to be. It was obvious that it was going down the crapper and overall becoming toxic, completely opposite from the image they try to portray. So one day, I come into work and one of my buddies just shoots out of his chair, walks over to my desk, opens Google Chrome, and types in a certain set of keywords, hit search. The top item was the public court documents. I read through it and found out everything. I reached out to Joe to see if he was still there. Sure enough, he'd left a few months after the scandal. He informed me of what had happened. So it turns out that Mark and one of his employees were taking money from one of the vendors to be able to basically remain one of the company's utility companies across the US. At this time, the CTO was looking to switch to a different provider, but this particular provider did not want to lose the company since they were their biggest contract. So the CTO made a deal with the head of the provider company where they were suddenly accepting unreported funds. What ended up happening though was that one of the employees reported his earnings in his taxes, which somehow ended up going back to the company. I'm not sure about how this worked out, I'm not a tax guy or whatever but then it went to the finance department. This is where I called my contact from the finance department. My contact had told me that she saw the reported income and it didn't add up at all. His income was basically doubled, but she worked alongside payroll and they knew his wages. The fact that he reported almost double his income could get both him and the company in serious trouble, so she did the only thing she could do, which was have an audit done. They reported this to the CEO and agreed to bring in an outside auditor, just to avoid any sort of possible conflicts of interest. The auditor then comes back to find where the extra funds came from, being a special contract with Mark, his employee, and the CTO signed off on it. They worded it very carefully so that it would go under the radar, but the taxes would be charged to the company. A week after the audit, some officials arrived at the company and arrested those three individuals. I'm not sure if they served jail time or something, but they sure as heck walked out of there in handcuffs. Oh, and to answer one final question, for those wondering how in the heck the CTO got to her position in the first place, she was friends with the CEO. She's apparently out there, still being a CTO to this day. At my current job, one of my coworkers asked me if I knew this person's name, and I kid you not, I was like, how the freak do you know her? Only later to find out that the coworker worked for the CTO and hated her. My coworker was going through some major issues while at that company, and when she opened up about it, the CTO threatened to fire her as she was just a liability waiting to happen. My coworker's in safe hands now, where she gets the treatment and therapy she needs. From the get-go, the very first thing, OP reaches out and says, hey, if you need any help, let me know. Happy to see you here. And for them to turn around and immediately reply with, some extremely defensive, just because I'm a woman I need help? Would you guys agree with me when I suggest that the CTO going and saying this hurt the representation of equality, of women's independence, women's rights? I mean, not only did they react so harshly to something I feel is so innocently professional, they basically imprinted this in OP and now OP's gotta worry, have I secretly been sexist this whole time? Was she being a terrible representative for women? Or was there merit to it? 
Let me know what you guys think in the comments down below. Our next story is from klutzyamount3737. Policy change causes compliance. So, quick background. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm from the UK, but I've worked in the USA since 2001. I worked for a smallish company. I was around the 100th employee that was growing steadily. The story concerns personal time. This is five days a year you would accrue that could be used for when you're ill or even extra vacation days. You could only accrue up to 120 hours max, three weeks. I hit my maximum after three years and rarely used it, just left it topped up. My thought was that I have parents getting older in the UK, so I could use this time in case of an emergency. So I kept my bank full for this purpose. Note, you stop accruing this when you hit 120 hours and don't get it back, so I gave up some days available to keep it topped up. Sometime around year 5, I did take a personal day. A couple of weeks later, I noticed in a paycheck that my personal time had not changed. It was still at 112 hours. It should go up about an hour and a half per two weeks of working. I waited until the following paycheck and still at 112 hours. I call HR to ask. It appears at some point the previous year, they changed the policy to max out at 80 hours. Anyone with more wouldn't lose it, but would not start accruing until they were below the new lower maximum. Obviously, I wasn't happy with this. Cue compliance. I immediately take five personal days off, which got me to 72-ish hours. From this point on, every time I was about to max out my personal time, every five weeks or so, I would schedule a day off or use up multiple days over Christmas to extend vacation time when visiting my family. I would game the system between what vacation I could carry over versus personal time. They never gained an extra hour out of me in personal time again. Then in 2011, we were bought out by a larger company. In April 2012, my wife and I had a huge vacation planned, a 16-day African safari gifted by the tour operator my wife worked for as her 10 years of service award. This was planned at least 12 months ahead of time, as I needed to plan out my vacation time. Up until this point, we were allocated all of our vacation for the following year on April 1st. Mid-December 21, the new company HR dragged us all to a meeting, where they announced they're making changes to vacation and personal time to bring us into line with theirs. As of April 1st, all vacation time is now accrued. You can 
borrow up to five days in advance with prior approval. Also, as of this date, personal time is no longer personal time, it's sick time. You need to be sick to take it or use it for doctor's appointments. On the plus side, they're increasing it to seven days per year. Though not much use to me as I haven't taken a day off sick in 15 years. You'll need a doctor's note for three days or longer of illness. I pointed out to them that unlike the company that bought us, we actually had a production facility that manufactures actual products at a rate of over a million per day. The reason we had personal time and not sick time was from experience. They are not interested. This is the policy. We know what works for you better than you do. At the end, with for any questions or clarifications, I raise my hand and also ask, I have a vacation that's already approved and has been in planning for over a year that starts in April because that's when we would get our full allocation. But it's longer than the five days I can now borrow and you've also limited the use of personal time. What do I do? I'm expecting them to say, come see us, we'll work something out. What I actually got was, from these fools, was literally a shrug of their shoulders with faces that said, tough crap, screw them. As my wife worked for the tour operator, and as there was still some space available, they helped us to move up the vacation into March. I calculated my personal time to max it out just as we were traveling. I blew all 10 days personal time in the last two weeks of March, zeroing it out just before the policy change came into effect, and borrowed a couple of days' vacation from the following year to complete the end of the trip. After that change in policy, the production facility ended up with machinery being shut down multiple shifts per week. We had 10 pieces of equipment that took 2-4 to four personnel each to run them. As operators or helpers were sick, then some machines had to be shut down. One person out of a team would lead to a couple of other personnel having nothing productive to do on the shift, which ultimately increased costs and customer lead times. It's easy to schedule around a personal day that was booked in advance, but if you run a lean shift to maximize profits, it's impossible to schedule around someone calling in sick. Rather than amend their policy and admitting they didn't know best, they hired a couple of extra people each shift to cover for their policy slash sickness. Office staff around the company would be mysteriously ill every two months or so, for a day or two at a time. Most weren't even subtle about it and were always sick on Fridays or Mondays. I left around four years ago. That policy stood and staff work for all it's worth. The resentment of that policy change ran deep. Reap what you sow. Honestly, this whole situation going down the way it does, does not surprise me. I feel like a lot of companies get started by people who genuinely do care and are great owners of a business. Then as time goes on, they might want to try to start making a little bit more profit. All of a sudden, all these extra benefits or all these amazing days off start shrinking a bit. Then you get bought out by a major corporation. And you just already know this major giant corporation that bought you out is not in any way going to want their workers to have whatever personal days are. No sir, only sick days and you better be gosh darn sick. If you gotta be sick to have a day off once in a while, when you're doing some hard work, well shoot. (laughs) Sniffle sniffle. Our next story is from the noble Mustelid. Allow me to demonstrate. This story begins with software. In the year before the plague, the college I worked at decided to buy some software to handle online assignments and track grades. It didn't replace the existing software, but it was supposed to be better, 
and we were gradually supposed to transition over. It was also clearly the big thing an administrator had planned as their flagship contribution to the university. The problem was that it wasn't a big thing. No one wanted to use it. Partly this was because the college provided no training on the system. Partly this was because some not insignificant fraction of my colleagues personally survived the Cretaceous Paleogene extinction event. And if you ask them about technology, they start ranting about those newfangled steam engines. Mostly though, this was because the software was terrible. I tried the software because I'm not afraid of learning new things, but key features were broken. So I filed a series of bug reports which were completely ignored and stopped using it. However, in this process, one of the great beasts of bureaucracy was stirred from its slumber long enough to register that I had used the software. Then, in 2020, the world changed. We found ourselves teaching online and largely wishing we had opted to slam our heads repeatedly into our desks instead. Administration, never one to skip an opportunity to throw gas on a man on fire, realized that they could push this crappy software as a solution. However, they would probably need someone to run a training. Somewhere, a great beast stirred again, and my phone rang. The person on the other end was my ancient nemesis. Years before, when I was a young professor, she had repeatedly tried to get rid of me. These days, she's moved over to an administrative position where her primary duty is to send mildly chiding emails to faculty for not attending poorly run self-help seminars. It suits her perfectly. She's offering me the opportunity to run a training on the terrible software. I quickly realized that this is baited with just enough bribery to make it easy to paint me as not a team player if I refuse. But if I accept, people will be trying to use software that was probably actually written by squirrels. And when it doesn't work, they'll think, who can I call for help? And there's my number in the directory. It's a nicely crafted catch-22. Some of my opponents better work. On the other hand, she doesn't know a hard drive from a shipping pallet of lemon bars, so it's probably an accident. I steal myself. If you can't bargain with demons, you won't last long in academia. And I craft my statement with all the guile and cunning that years of faculty senate meetings have burned into my soul. You say that I should cover all my tips and tricks for using the software. Does this include workarounds for issues in the software? My nemesis is friends with the administrator whose baby this software is. What issues she bristles? Well, I say, the backend database doesn't always synchronize with the course shell in real time, for instance. I'm pretty sure my nemesis thinks a backend database is rude to discuss in polite company. She certainly doesn't hear, sometimes grades vanish into thin air. They say, well, sure, if there's technical issues like that, make people aware of them so they can use the software without problems. I'd be happy to cover any such issues, I respond. The trap is closing, my hand will not be in it. She says, excellent, start working on that and I'll send you an email with more details. The day of the training arrives, it's on Zoom since everything we do is at this point in COVID, and I begin to go through my talk. My nemesis is pleased to see that I've taken the time to set up an account as a student and I'm switching between a professor view and a student view on the software as I explain things. She's also not one to sit through a boring training that she asked for, so after about 10 minutes, she quietly signs off. Let's discuss the anti-cheating features next, I say. This has become a big deal since all of our tests are being given online. The software has billed itself as having excellent protection against cheating, and it's been a major point that the people in favor of adopting it 
keep bringing up. I create a quiz, set it to ultra secure mode, and then begin taking it as a student. As I do so, I point out various bits of trivial information, clicking through questions on the quiz, and then I hit a particular combination of inputs that I had discovered in my two weeks of extensively cataloging every flaw I could find in the software, and the lock screen closes. I'm still in the quiz, able to answer questions, but I can open a new tab into Google as well. Without commenting, I switch over to Professor View and point to where we can see my student's self-test status. Green for zero security issues. Takes a second for the penny to drop. There's a lot of questions, and in the answers, I mentioned that I'd actually found several ways to break the security on the software, and just used the easiest one. But the training must go on. You were probably wondering why some of these questions are poorly punctuated too. That's because many punctuation marks break the software. Here, let me put a semicolon in a question and try to save it to show you. The question fails to save. I pull up a short list of known bugs and say, it's worth letting you know about these issues. Sorry, all of them, I say as I hit forward on my slides, and the list grows to such a size that each item is now in five-point font. I spent another half hour saying things like, as you see, the student has sent me a message in the portal, but because they used a mobile browser, it's being displayed in simplified Chinese characters, so I have no idea what they said. Several semesters later, no one has asked me for help troubleshooting the software, Probably because adoption of the software on campus is lower than it was before my training. Honestly, what I love here is OP was able to show every single person here that might come across it how broken and busted it was, and nobody overseeing the whole thing even raised a finger. Like, how did OP get put in a place of training other people how to use this stuff, and then after the fact, nobody adopts it, and that that's just it? What does the management actually do? And our final story of the day is from OKStop6302. You won't pay me for the last working hour? Fine by me. This story takes place a few years back when I was 16 or 17 years old. Needing money, I applied at an agency that provides temporary external staff for different kinds of stores. I was sent to work in a Coton, that's something like an H&M. All went almost good for the first two or three days, except the fact that I had no break in my six-hour shifts. I wasn't allowed to go for a smoke or anything else. My job was pretty simple. I had to stay in the warehouse, unbox new arrivals, fold them and make sure they have an alarm on. I did this without complaining for the most part. It's the last day and I was supposed to leave at, let's say, 6pm. I can't quite remember the time. I did my best and managed to finish a box 15 minutes before my shifts end. I happily get my stuff and prepare to leave when my manager comes with a look of superiority asking, It's not 6 o'clock yet. If you leave now, I won't pay you for this last hour. Malicious compliance. I was getting angry. I have to tell you, a big box of new arrivals usually takes around half an hour only to fold. Maybe another half an hour if you also want to put the alarm on them. So I picked up the biggest box I could find and scattered the clothes all over the floor and began to fold them. After 15 minutes, I just stand up ready to go, leaving a huge mess behind me. The manager comes back and starts telling me I need to clean up. I just stay there, show him the clock on my telephone and smile. It's past six. If you want me to clean up, you have to pay me for one more hour or I won't do it. She was just standing there and telling me she'll report me to the agency. I smiled, waved and told her to do whatever she wants, but I suggested to clean up first. 
P.S. The agency never called me again after paying me. If this is the kind of situation that that agency is going to go for, it was probably for the best to stop working with that agency. I guess the bottom line is it's all emergency work, so maybe it's just a bunch of stuff where they hope you're really, really desperate. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another awesome compliance story, check out that video on the left. Or, if you missed my latest video, check out the video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.